It's 970 WAMD Aberdeen, and this is the Harford Edge, keeping you on the cutting edge of what's new in Harford County and beyond. I'm co-host Leslie Greenlee-Smith from the Harford County Public Library, <coughs> and that is Bob Mumby. <laughs> the Harford Edge is brought to you each week by your Harford County Public Library. Today we'll be speaking with Julie Mancini, the Hayes House Coordinator. That's say easy that for you to say. <laughs> I'm going to do that every time I say it. So I'm coughing and you're stuttering. <laughs> we should be a good 60 minutes. Um, and she's also the college archivist for HCC, Hartford Community College. Good morning, Bob. It's Friday. Yes. <laughs> good morning. And I'm annoyed about a lot of things. Uh-oh. Go to town. Uh, first is my allergies. And um, you, I'm about to annoy you with my allergies. <laughs> I'm going to try to mute my mic. Uh, so you're not treated to what, uh, what Leslie's being treated to here, this cacophony of Coffee. coughs. Uh, other things, though, this is we're gonna we're gonna do sort of a, a, a somewhat extended courtesy project minute because it's been backing up. Okay, you have been really okay. holding back. So we may have mentioned this already. I was at the movies. If you're going, if you buy a bag of crinkly Twizzler bag of Twizzlers. Okay. First of all, I am annoyed at the theaters for selling crinkly theater bags. Come on in, Julie. We're on air. We just went on air. We're, we're doing <laughs> our annoyances. Yay! He's just getting started. Yes. We're doing our courtesy project. <laughs> so have a seat. Get comfy. Um, Hello. We're talking about people behind you in the movies who buy a bag of Twizzlers, and they take one out of the bag at a time, so they're s separating it from the larger block of twi Twizzlers while it's still in the bag, eight inches from your ear. Yes. Yep. Take five out, and don't bang the Milk Dock Duds box to get the last one out from the bottom that has melted a little, then re-adhered itself to the box. Open the other end. What about uh, the cough drops that you have to, you yes. have to just go? Yes, and the new bags they have that that are as loud as yes, yes. Um, yes. And if you're subway door, elevator, and you're getting in, I mean, let us out first. I, I mean, this is totally very agree basic. With you on that, yes. And if you're at a shopping center and it's clearly the road, but you want to park at the curb. Because you're special. And you are busier than everybody else in the world. Yes. And more important. Um, and frankly, if you own a mortgage business and you have the idea to have you and your daughter be the spokespeople. Okay. Don't. <laughs> I don't know whether it's complete, uh, complete self-absorption or whatever, but just don't do it. I don't want to do business with you. <laughs> When you read this script, like it's the first time you've seen it. Okay, we're done being annoyed. <laughs> the elevator thing does bug me, though. Because, again, it's that same person that's parking at the curb. Because they're more important. They've got to get on. They've got places to go. <laughs> right, exactly. It's just so self-absorption. Self-absorption. Yep. Obliviousness. <laughs> Inconsideration. Okay, we're done. But we're not perfect. <laughs> we are not. And we have lots of really good things to talk about today here with Julie. So Excellent. And Julie's going to help big time with the trivia. Yeah. Right, Julie? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, 
I'm I'm super at trivia. Are you? No, I'm, I'm really awful at trivia. I usually bring my husband along for trivia. He's he's got a head for it because he's he just knows these kinds of things. Bob, that Bob is the same way. Some so people. He'll just that's my wife said. She goes. Uh, she always wonders what important information is being crowded out of my brain by minutia. It's amazing. <laughs> Some people just have a head for that. Like I could tell you the starting lineup for the 1969 Orioles, but right. I forget our friend's birthday date. Right, so. right, and what you're supposed to do on Friday night, and it's Thursday. No, I hear you. Okay, what do we got? All right, we have some really good trivia today, guys. No true-false, right? No true-false. I had a talk with Megan. We're done with true-false. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> she was like, oh, Bob. <laughs> okay, what is the proper term for a group of parrots? Mm. Hmm. Um, gaggle. What does it begin with? P. Pod? It's a long Ooh. word. Um, a packet? How many syllables? Five. Five? Five syllables. Um, Ends with an M. Hmm. I'm going for it. Paramecium. That's a really good guess. That's five syllables. Pandemonium. Yeah. Pandemonium. <laughs> I well, like that. They're I know. certainly loud enough, aren't they? Yes. Yes. Interesting. Okay, I'll go a little easier for the second yes, one. Yes, please. What is the color of the five stars found on the flag of China? It's my favorite color. And maybe yours, too. Um, yellow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Julie has on a bright yellow sweater. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Okay, Bob, this one's for you, my baseball guy. Barry Bonds currently holds the Major League Baseball home run record with how many home runs? 762. Yes! See? He knows the stuff. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. Whoa. Hank Aaron is 756. Willie Mays is third with... Wow. Oh, Babe Ruth is third with 714. Okay. Then Willie Mays, 666. Do you play trivia like at bars? Like, have you ever thought to take your show on the road and make some money? We've done that. We've done that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it, it's fun. I, again, I don't know. I don't remember people's names I met yesterday, but. <laughs> okay. A puggle is a cross between which two dog breeds? A puggle? Puggle. Pug? Oh, it's a pug. A pug is the first. A pug and a beagle. Yes. That's oh. correct, Julie. Yeah. Good job. Okay, excellent. I've never seen a puggle. I'm, I'm seen, sure they're cute. But I yeah. can imagine. Yeah. What is the color you get when you mix yellow and blue? I'm envious about that. <laughs> but a bing. That would be green. Okay, Star Trek, The Next Generation, originally aired in what year? It's the 80s. 82. A little bit higher. Yeah, it's got to be later than that. No idea. I, I hate. Say eighty-eight. Yeah, I don't. I, I saw your face. One. You're not a. You're not a fan. No, uh, I like Star Trek, yeah. but I've only seen one Star Wars. Okay. So that's how. So eighty-five. Eighty-seven. Nineteen eighty-seven. Okay. The Spanish Civil War began in what year? Uh nineteen. Thirty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two. Yeah. 31, 33, 34, 35, 36. Yes! Okay. 
I knew it. <coughs> hey, the 1930 was like you were right well, in the we ballpark. Well, we That's have, and job. we have the Spanish Civil War, the Spanish flu today. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That's right. Okay, this one I did not know. What do the letters ZIP stand for in the United States Postal Code? Zip code. What does ZIP stand oh, for? I, I know that. Come on. Zoning Improvement Plan. That's correct. Oh. I had no idea. I just... You know how you just associate something with something your whole life, and I never... I love acronyms. I didn't know what that one was. Do you know what SCUBA is? No. Self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. Bingo. There we go. Do you know what laser is? No. Light amplification through the stimulated emission of radiation. Wow. I just thought it was laser. You know, like, that's just what it was. And, you know, um... The letters on a zipper. What, what are the letters on a zipper? I can't look right now because it would be rude. I don't have a zipper on. There today. are three letters on every zipper. There are. It's the Japanese company that Owns first the made the zipper them. industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we could go on, but we, we won't. could. Those were some good. You guys did great. Those Congratulations. Yes, yes, yes. And we are going to talk briefly um, because I don't want to steal any of Julie's thunder, but in do- doing homework for this i this the flu pandemic which julie's going to talk about which is one of the uh, hayes house um exhibits coming up fascinated me uh because uh, when i was young i found family photos and there was a picture of two younger folks uh, they're awake uh from, from your 19- family Yes, okay. my um, my mother's mother's niece and nephew. Okay. And it was about 18, 18 mm-hmm. and they had passed away. And I remember it jarring me, and I've, my mother told me there was a flu uh, pandemic and killed millions of people worldwide, and I think she said close to a million in the U.S., but we could talk about that. But wow. It fascinated me, but... I did a little homework, and Julie, you probably know this. They finally found out why this flu killed 50 million people nationwide, and I six, seven hundred thousand U.S. Um, but it didn't affect old people, older people, which the flus normally do. That's right. Um, or maybe you know the. Do you know this? Uh, what they they this H? They did the detective work, and. They determined that there was a flu, the last major oh. flu outbreak in 1893 to 1895 had similar strains that was in this one, the H and the N, the H1, and the H stands for, um, I don't know why I can't find it now. Oh, it's a, it's a protein. Okay. It's a protein that helps it get into the cell. Okay. That's all you really, you don't need to know the whole Oh, okay. Thing behind it. Well, it was that particular H and that particular N were the same kind in in the in that outbreak as in the nineteen. Oh, so you're all over this. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, tell us. It, okay, this is so, amazing. So what you're what you're trying getting at here is um, the older folks were protected. They had some immunity um, because they had gone through an outbreak like this. Um, and so this is one of the reasons that the older folks didn't die at as high of a rate was because they had some immunity to it. 
from an earlier from strain. an earlier from an earlier outbreak of of this particular strain. That's that's one of the theories that's out there. Um, another theory, though, um, is that the the younger folks died in much greater numbers than normal, uh, partly because their immune systems were so strong, and uh, it, it was actually an autoimmune reaction. Their their immune systems went into overdrive to attack this flu, and wow. it was it was. We know the immune system can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, lupus is an autoimmune disease. There's mm-hmm. a lot of autoimmune diseases that can really hurt the body. And this flu caused the immune system to kind of freak out. And so many folks died because their immune system overreacted so much wow. to this flu. Uh, and that's what happens when you see healthy, younger people dying of the flu. It's, it's their immune reaction to the flu more than the flu itself that's killing them. So your body's defenses actually kill you. Yeah, they, they do so much. Um, a lot of the symptoms that we get when we get sick are actually our immune system trying to help, trying to cook the germs with a fever, fever. or trying to smother the germs with mucus, that wow. kind of thing. human body is just amazing. Frostbite, too, is um, vasoconstriction. Right, it's trying to it's conserve your, your blood to keep it warm. It's saying, well, we're going to just abandon that part. To, to eliminate blood loss through the extremities by closing the capillaries and yeah. constricting the veins. It's amazing, the body. It's I mean, really, it really interesting is. stuff, yeah. I don't and, take care of mine enough. I need to try And you know, piloerection, do you know what piloerection is? No. It's another response to cold? Okay. No, no, it's nothing <laughs> like that. Concerned. No, don't be concerned. It's your hair follicles... Um, Raise as a okay. as a, another means of insulation. That's what goosebumps are. Okay. And you, it makes your hair stand up. Okay. It's a reaction <coughs> to cold or fear. Wow. Okay. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. And the last one is shivering. Your body tries to generate warmth by uh, activity. So shivering attempts to do that. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. I have another one here I'll save for you. Cough drops. We're exchanging. My allergies are oh, it is presenting awful. as well. The morning is the worst. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, let us do this. I have a cough coming on. Okay. Let's take a break then. When we come back, we'll um, do some local news from Harford County. County Public Library's Innovation Lab, located at the Abington Library, is now open to the public with hands-on training for area community members aged 6th grade and above. Through creative experiences in the Innovation Lab, you can develop new skills, resources, and products that will help to drive Harford County's economy forward. The Innovation Lab's technology includes the MakerBot Replicator 5th Generation 3D Printer, 3D creation software including MakerBot and PrinterBot, professional green screen with studio light box, and both Apple and Windows computers. All to help create your electronic video, audio, publishing, and 3D design projects. For more information or to reserve the Innovation Lab for your special project, call 410-638-3990 or visit the Abington Library at 2510 South Tollgate Road. 
Welcome back. I'm co-host Leslie Greenlee-Smith from the Hartford County Public Library, and that is Bob Mumby, and this is the Hartford Edge. We're delighted today to have Julie Mancini from the Hayes High House, coordinator and college archivist for Hartford County Community College, in the studio with us today. That's a mouthful. Community College, (laughs) Hayes High, Flu Fluctuations. There you go. I'm done saying that. I'm going to say HCC going forward. (laughs) (laughs) Since June of 2015, Julie has served as the Hayes High House Coordinator and College Archivist at HCC. In this role, she's responsible for the creation and coordination of mission-appropriate exhibits, scheduling events that complement these exhibits and local history, as well as performing outreach to the wider community, students, faculty, and staff. She also receives and processes acquisitions. She digitizes and creates metadata for archives and other materials and develops relationships with partners on campus and in the community. That's a lot, Julie. Um, Prior to that, she served as HCC's library in the role of senior library assistant and at the University of Delaware as a teaching assistant in early American history. Julie has a Master of Arts in American history from both the University of Delaware and Ohio University, as well as a Bachelor of Arts in history from Ohio University. And if that's not enough, she's currently working on her Master of Science at the University of Maryland. Welcome, Julie, and thanks so much for coming on today, you thank busy you. girl. Thank you. I <laughs> thanks appreciate for squeezing it. us in. We could talk to you for about three hours. So. <laughs> yes, it's true. Well, um, uh, this uh, the exhibit is it is really fun that I'm I'm here to talk about. So I I could talk for about three hours about Excellent. it. Well, so, well, we'll you know. co- we may have to just skip the third block and just go right <laughs> through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, where are you from? Julie. Okay, I'm I'm originally from Ohio, actually, and uh, I I found my way out here when I was working on another master's degree. Actually, my my husband and I were both working on our degrees. He was at University of Maryland, and I was at University of Delaware, and and we just sort of worked our way to to Bel Air because it's in the middle, somewhere in the middle, yeah. And we didn't realize what a wonderful community it was until. We landed here. We wanted somewhere with a town, mm-hmm. and Bel Air had a town, and Hartford County had communities still. Mm-hmm. Not everywhere up and down I-95 has communities still, and mm-hmm. this county really does. So Yeah, it is, it's interesting because, you know, when you have sprawl, which a lot of the, 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 the space between Wilmington and Baltimore is characterized by there are not there's no real town centers there's no real community centers of gravity it's just a bunch of shopping centers and and um, housing developments we really wanted towns we wanted we wanted neighborhoods we could walk in we wanted stores we could go to we wanted that feel and Mm -hmm. and we found it here we we love it so we've been here like 10 years now oh good and um Tell us about the first of all. Tell us about Hayes House. Okay, Hayes so Hayes Hay House. Hayes High House. Hayes is, High House. Hayes High House is um, it's it's this old stone house on Harford Community College's campus, and it was originally a farm. the The whole campus is actually situated on this old farm, and now the house is an educational facility and a public history site. Uh, it got its name, incidentally, from two different families that lived there. The Hayes family, which is why 
you're con- you're you're thinking of Hayes House, which is in Bel Air, and it's the same Hayes family as owns the Hayes House as and and then the High House. But anyway, it, that's why it has a confusing name. But Hayes High House is its name. Um, and uh, it, we host exhibits and and programming there that highlight the social and cultural history of Hartford County. Um, and we've done that since 2010. That's when the college decided to open it as a museum. It's actually been on the National Register of Historic Places since 1972. Um, wow. And the college used it as an administration building for many years. It's a beautiful building. Beautiful inside. I have never been there, I am sorry to say. It's really well preserved, considering that if they used it for an administrative office, like you can't even tell that that was in there. They left a lot of things intact. They did, they did. It's 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 got it's got the old fireplaces, a lot of really nice woodwork, the the original flooring is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a beautiful building, and you have a great office. I have, I have an awesome she office. She goes all I, the way to the top, and it's just like really funky. Yeah, I have ceiling. the I have the whole top floor, but it but it is the attic, so I'm mm-hmm. sort of the mad woman up in the attic. Uh, but I have this beautiful half moon window that overlooks the front yard of mm-hmm. the property, it's and beautiful. it's it's light and bright up there, and mm-hmm. I I love the space. So we could we could film um, like a. Blair Witch Three there, oh, yeah. and uh, we've actually the view had from the grounds um, up into the half moon. Students, students have used the space, the house, and the grounds to to film. Uh, we had a student film a horror movie there, I believe, last year that uh, was, I think, it won an award for student filming. Excellent. So, yeah, it's it's it, it gets used for different kinds of things. Well, and uh, we may as well. Uh, pitch that to everyone it can be rented for certain yes, events and that's absolutely. Uh, certainly that uh, proceeds from that will be helping the mission yes we um, we encourage the community to contact us to to use the space for different kinds of events and is that that i saw dave dunaway's name is dave uh, dave's still co- there yes he's okay. um he he helps us coordinate things like that dave so. is the i guess the the facilities He's the facilities guy for the past he, 20 right, years. Right, forever. He knows he everything about that stuff. So. We used to do uh, put on concerts at uh, the Chesapeake Theater. Yeah. Wow. Dave was always a, uh, the go-to guy. Him sure. and Tammy um, yeah. from dining services. Tammy, yes. And oh. Susan Nicolaides. And Tammy, whenever, whenever we do teas at the house, um, oh, fancy beautiful. high teas, mm-hmm. Tammy does the food. She does these amazing teas. And people are always like, who did you guys have cater mm-hmm. this? Where did you get this food? Mm-hmm. And we're like, Tammy did it. This was mm-hmm. dining like, services. The cafeteria ladies? Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's they, they can't ever believe it, but she does the most beautiful spreads for these. Wow. You yeah, know? They do a great job. Yeah. So really I'm glad we had that little mini commercial yeah. for HCC cul- <laughs> cultural events team. It's true. We did. We, we got that in there. Team. Um, and uh-huh. So uh, you can go to harford.edu. Uh, uh, slash community and find all the info on the Hayes High House. Yes. And all those other good things. And your mission is really not needed in today's world. You're looking to promote <laughs> lifelong learning, community engagement, critical thinking, and historical and cultural understanding within the context of local, national, and global issues. Sure, sure. Ah. <laughs> no, but nobody needs that. Stuff, no, because right? we're also Please. civil. We are. And. Erudite. (laughs) Okay, so um, first of all, all the things going on. Uh, We want to talk about the current exhibit, but there's um, 
an equestrian exhibit? Yeah, briefly let me just mention the, the equestrian exhibit because that's something we try to do every two years, and that, that sort of connects us back to our roots. The, the property spent um, uh, several decades as a horse breeding and training um, farm in, in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and that's um, it's the Hayes High House. Um, Robert and Ann High, um, that's the high part of the name, owned the property at that time, and they uh, were very well known in the equestrian community here in Maryland and nationwide, really. And we named the winner of um, an award named after them for excellence in equestrian journalism. And we've given out that award several times, a number of times, and most recently we, we gave it posthumously to Jim McKay of ABC's Wide World of Sports. We had some of his family members come for it, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very special evening. And before that, we had the French cartoonist Peb, Pierre Bellac. He came for it, and he was was just delightful. Really? That's wonderful. Um, uh, So that's that's an exciting thing to look forward to. We we did that last year, so we'll be doing it again um, probably fall of 2018. So people should just um, people should be looking for that. We'll we'll put out advertising when when the next one comes. But it's it's just one of those things that helps connect Prospect Hill Farm, which is what um, was where the college is now, uh, back to its roots. And that's important. And um, what many people don't know is that the Highs were named. They were Hilda and Harry, and their children were Howard, Henrietta, and Hortense High. Just get a few more H's, right? (laughs) Just throw a few more in there. (laughs) Only kidding. Um, So let's talk about, um, first of all, uh, are there opportunities uh, for people to get more involved with uh, the Hayes High House? Always. There are always opportunities to be more involved. We have um, an advisory board made up of community members uh, and faculty members and other people from from the college, so uh, we, we uh, look for new members for that. Um, we are also always looking for volunteers, people who are interested in becoming docents who can lead people around um, on, on tours or um, help us with events, um, and, and just volunteer in any number of other ways. And so, how do they do that? Can they, should they email you or just go to... Uh... They, should, they can go to the website, and, and there's ways to contact us there. Okay, uh, Harford, uh, harford.edu uh, community, go to community, then go to Hayes House, and there's uh, how you can find out more about it, how to uh, volunteer, yes. the different exhibits, the history, etc. So, cultures and disease, epidemics and the human experience. Yes. Fascinating um, in so many ways. Um, very dramatic, too. I mean, um, all of us... I, I, maybe not all of us, but I am the Andromeda strain in uh, the beginning of um, uh, the one where it was airborne. Um, and right. The, well, that's the thing. We started to think about this. Um, we thought about the the 100th anniversary of this flu pandemic because it was 1918 that the, that the flu pandemic happened, and, and it killed... 50 million people at least worldwide. They think somewhere between 50 million and 100 million people um, and uh, half a million people in the U.S. at least. Uh, 
And there are so many ways in our culture that that disease is, is sort of part of our culture. It's it's in our literature. It's in our films. Mm-hmm. It's it's throughout our media. Our news media is just every time there's there's a a, a pandemic or an epidemic story the. The news jumps on it. Mm-hmm. It's in our children's mm-hmm. songs. Ring it's, in our the ch- it's in our children's mm-hmm. songs. Mm-hmm. It's in our children's literature. When you read Secret Garden, yes, what's going on there? The little girl comes to that family because her parents have died of malaria. Mm-hmm. That's why she has to come to live with them. Mm-hmm. So, um, or it might be a cholera epidemic. In any case. She's left all alone, and they find her in this house, and so she has to come live with these people she doesn't know well. And um, anyway, we we just sort of expect this thing. Velveteen rabbit. That that child has scarlet fever. Uh, childhood illness is something that people just lived with um, mm-hmm. and expected to live with. Maybe die from. Maybe not. Isn't Ring Around the Rosie about that? It's about plague. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a song about um, some of the markers of bubonic plague, the ways you would know about it. Oh, the black, the uh, bubo. Yeah, yeah. Black, bubo. black death, bubonic plague. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something that, that people just always experienced. And, and, and we don't remember it in the same kind of way because we've moved past so many of these childhood right. illnesses right. and so many of these epidemic diseases in modern Western society. Um, but we sort of wanted to bring back and look at some of those illnesses and some of those experiences through the exhibit. So it's uh, epidemics and the human experience. So uh, as you just said, it, it affects our thinking. We, we, As you note in the material, that we don't just live, uh, we don't just die from the diseases or get sick from them. We live with the knowledge of them. Mm-hmm. And talk about that a minute, uh, how it, it just permeates our, our fear, our culture, our emergency response, um, our human interaction with each other, um, etc. Exactly. One of, one of the sections that um, is more speculative that, that we dip into a little bit is the psychology of it all, trying to understand how people respond to um, what they think a sick person looks like. How, how they're intuiting, is this person maybe sick or maybe not? Should I get near them or not get near them? If I hear somebody coughing, should I stand near them? There's, there's these subtle unconscious things of social distancing that we do. Uh, there's um, less subtle things that we do when, when we see things that we're, we're really horrified by. Um, and there's certain kinds of diseases that we're more afraid of. So uh, back in the day... Uh, tuberculosis, which was thought of as consumption in the 19th century, they called it consumption, it was thought of as this sort of beautiful wasting disease that, you know, would, you'd get these beautiful rosy cheeks and these big eyes and these sharp cheekbones, and it, it made you sort of like lovely and, and passionate, and it was this very emotional, lovely disease to die from. Um, whereas something like Ebola is, or... or um, Cholera is this horrifying disease. It, it you know, you, you sort of spew horrible things. Right. Right, you just want to get away from a person like that. And and the reactions that you have to people who are 
just sort of like coughing discreetly into a hanky Mm -hmm. versus somebody who's like oozing. Right. Or they have like smallpox sores all over their skin or something. Right. Right. That it's very different. You know, so so we have these visceral reactions, and and then that sort of changes the psychology of how we react to the disease, and then that changes um, societally how we treat the disease, where where we put the people who we think are sick with it, leper colonies, mm-hmm. leper colonies, mm-hmm. how we how we write our policies, our laws that go with it, um, how we treated in fiction, which ones become horror stories and which ones become tragic romances, which mm-hmm. ones we decide to write beautiful operas about, like mm-hmm. La Boheme, you know, which ones become zombie stories, mm-hmm. you know, The Walking Dead. So um, it, it sort of gets balled up in all of that. Um, and then we do try to touch on how uh, we you, you get a lot of new scientific ideas coming out of this uh, like trying to use mapping to figure out where an epidemic is spreading or how an epidemic is spreading. So, so we touch on the use of geography to figure this out and how in the, in the 19th century they were just starting to do this. It was sort of a new idea that if you figured out who was sick and, and when they got sick, you could maybe figure out what got them sick and maybe stop it from getting other people sick. This was this was another new idea. Um, it's hard to believe that that was a new idea. Like it's just common sense to us. Well, it seems common then, sense now, it but was it was just new. The process, yeah. And and even the guy who's sort of famous, John Snow, is is famous for figuring it out. He figured it out. He argued for it, but even at the time, the other scientists and and mm-hmm. doctors were like. We don't really believe you. We're going to wow. go ahead and do what you said we should do, but we think this is kind of bunk. Wow. So it wasn't until after the fact that they were like, well, maybe he was kind of right. Poor guy. <laughs> well, and you and you also touch on the the the, the bioethical um, aspect of it. Um, yes. Something like, you know, it's. I remember reading a, a amazing story about at what point. Does someone who was already infected and they're going to die, who makes a decision if they are made a sort of like a test subject for observation and testing, mm-hmm. is that is that ethical mm-hmm. if, in fact, it will save maybe a half a million people? Right. But it may involve them not be given as much palliative right. treatment as they would have needed, and right. at what point do we say this person is gone, mm-hmm. and and if they can't decide that for themselves, do we decide that for them? Right. They're, they're and if human it's your being. person, then you're like, no, but yeah. if it's someone else, you're like, what for the greater good? <laughs> and or do you, uh, in uh, outbreak, um, exactly. do, you, do you basically vaporize the town where yeah, just well, everyone is isolated? Town. Um, where there's people still alive there. Mm-hmm. And These kinds of illnesses bring up so many ethical questions. Mm-hmm. And and people are sometimes... People sometimes believe they're more willing to make these kinds of sacrifices when it's themselves. But when you say, okay, what if it's your mom? Exactly. What if it's your sister? Mm-hmm. Okay, now it's it's your son. 
what are you going to do? It's it's different when it's somebody you love. You True. you can be the hero if it's you. You're willing to step up if it's you. But if you have to, you know, take a loved one to the Ebola clinic that so far hasn't been able to bring very many, hasn't been able to release very many well people. So far, everyone who's gone in hasn't come out. Do you really want to bring them? Do you really want to take them there and leave them there? You probably don't. Right. You know? So the ethical questions are different when you have to look at it from that point of view. And, and yeah, these questions of isolation, of, of who gets the treatment, is the treatment going to work? When do you start using experimental treatments that haven't really been proven yet? You know, because after a certain point, people really do start clamoring for the experimental treatments. Like, why aren't you giving us this stuff soon enough? Certainly with the the HIV-AIDS um, crisis in the 80s, they were clamoring for new experimental drugs before the FDA could approve them. They wanted to have things as early as possible, and they felt the government wasn't releasing stuff quickly enough. Um because it wasn't proven safe, it wasn't necessarily proven effective. Uh, but they were so desperate. But they wanted something. Yeah. They needed something. People were dying at such a fast yes. rate that they needed something. So ethically, what was the government or, or the, the FDA, the scientists that were testing this, to do? Should they release a drug that they weren't sure would work, that they weren't sure mm-hmm. would harm people because it might save people? It, it raises a lot of really important questions. And, and you wonder, should we be playing with principles and ethics when people's lives are at stake? And the political and cultural resistance to resources being mm-hmm. dedicated to HIV research mm-hmm. in the mid-'80s because of people's alleged moral re- mm-hmm. revulsion at uh, drug users or um, homosexuals who mm-hmm. were, but they weren't thinking about hemophiliacs uh, who had received Absolutely. blood transfusions mm-hmm. um, because right. of it. So you want to punish someone who's is a drug user mm-hmm. or is immoral in your warped right. mind? Right. And you punish Ryan White while you're at it? Uh-huh. Um, and then... The other thing is talk about the media and the public safety issues because how much does the public have the right to know if, in fact, that knowledge could cause severe public safety Mm -hmm. um, issues? And how much does the media, by focusing on one or two cases, cause mass hysteria that may Mm -hmm. be more dangerous than the epidemic itself. Very much. Uh, we have one of the um, display panels we have in the house is called Facing Fearbola. There was this term that was going around during the um, 2014 Ebola outbreak in West Africa, uh, Fearbola, because Ebola wasn't going to come to Europe. It wasn't going to come to the United States. But Fearbola, this, this fear of it coming and spreading... <coughs> was going to come. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, people people were panicking about this. Schools closed. Um, people wow. were removed from their jobs for periods of time because they had traveled on planes with people who had traveled on planes with people who had been 
um, doctors in the field in West Africa. Wow. Um, and and the, the sort of fear... Um, can be really harmful and it's really serious it's 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 not people can't control that kind of fear it's when you when you feel that way you feel that way you know mm-hmm. but um and and the media i don't want to overly blame the media because the media is full of real people who are also afraid right. and who are trying to walk this very mm-hmm. fine balance between trying to inform the public um, of the possibility of things uh, without panicking everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's a fine, fine line to walk. It's really difficult. Mm-hmm. It was tough this flu season. Like, it was just picture after picture after picture in the news of healthy people who died from the flu. And, yeah. you know, I'm because you think if you're healthy, if you're not in those, the, you know, the young or the old age group, that you're pretty safe. Right. So... Well, and they're they're having to report, yes, the scientists are saying the flu shot's not very effective. Absolutely. But the scientists are saying you still need to get it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but these are our facts. Right. This is what we have. Please go get it. Yes, people are dying. Yes, you need to get the flu shot. Yeah. No, it's not effective. Yes, right. you have to get it anyway. Right. But, but who named this new strain the nightmare bacteria? Is it a virus or bacteria, the latest one that they've... I think it's called the nightmare. I'm sure that's the media. I would hope that I, it's not. I think scientists. it's. I think it's just. I, I have to be honest. I haven't looked too deeply into that one because it's so clearly a, a sort of a scare tactic. But I, I think the idea there is um, a, a lot of a lot of the time the media is doing its best, but sometimes they are trying to to sell sell papers. Yeah. There is some sensationalization there. Because it is a bacteria. And what antibiotics do is break break down the walls, the links. The the problem is that we are running into bacteria that are antibiotic resistant. Well, they have this nightmare has enzymes it releases that rebuild the links faster than the antibiotics. The links that basically is their armor. So it, this enzyme rebuilds the, the links faster than the antibiotic can break them down. So, like, they're building the fort walls faster oh than gosh. the invading hordes can. That's not good. No. See, and they, some, some scientists did realize decades ago that we were going to be facing um, this kind of antibiotic resistance. Uh, but it's very hard to get funding for research into other ways to fight bacteria when everyone is seeing, but we have antibiotics. Look how great antibiotics are. They're everywhere. We'll be fine. You know, it's hard to go look at this alternative approach. The alternative approaches look a little bit wacky, you have to admit, when, when what we have, now when what we have worked so well. Look at Glaxo with Zantac. They, they, they fought the very real theory that ulcers can be um, biologically uh, caused. Um, but it, they were selling Zantac at about $4 billion a year. So mm-hmm. it, it was based on the stomach acid mm-hmm. and <coughs> it's a tough, um, it's it a tough army to fight. It is. It is. Yeah. 
I will... When your dentist wants to give you clindamycin for a tooth infection... Okay. Challenge it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have first-hand experience mm-hmm. is I was given clindamycin, and I developed horrible symptoms within four weeks, and I had contra- uh, contracted C. diff, mm-hmm. um, which is an awful disease where these bacteria start to eat the mucosal lining mm-hmm. of your elementary tract. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're, everyone has these spores in them, but they're probiotic flora mm-hmm. in their guts. Right. Keeps them at bay, unless those probiotic flora are killed by clindamycin. <laughs> and, and then, then there's no one trouble. to guard against these orcs. So... Um, we want to keep talking, but uh, we have um, Julie Mancini here from um, Hayes Hay House at, uh, at HCC, and just phenomenal exhibit uh, they have currently on uh, cult, uh, epidemics and the human experience. Um, and then we want to talk about some of your other programs. Uh, but if you go to Harford, um, uh, I'm sorry, Harford.edu, and then go to the community page and then you could take it from there and julie when does the exhibit close how long is june, it there june 2nd june 2nd yes yeah, so. there through june 2nd so you've you've got lots of time to see it still and our um our open days our open hours are tuesday one to three thursday three to five and then friday 10 to 12 and we're open on first saturdays also 10 to 12 and you've had a lot of people stop by. We've had a lot of people stop by. It's been it's been really great to see the the different kinds of people we've mm-hmm. had come That's in. That's what I was going to say. Who's your we've, main audience? We've, <laughs> we have a we have a, a core of regular community folks that come by, mm-hmm. but and students. But we've also had people from the hospital come by. We've okay. had people from the county health department <laughs> who came by on a field trip to see the exhibit. Oh neat. Uh, we've had um, students. We've had. Faculty members we don't usually get sending just hordes of students through the exhibit, which is Excellent. is really nice. Uh, we had uh, a bunch of students come from Aberdeen High School from the Science and Math Academy, which was fun. They came to our game night that we did. Uh, they oh, wow. they stayed for three hours playing this epidemic board game. Um, oh, I, I like really that. Fun. I was gonna say, Bob, you missed out. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. We didn't really know how to play it, so we kind of worked our way through the instructions for an hour or so. But it was really fun. Wow, that's wonderful. And film discussions, lectures on bioethics and media ethics, book groups. Yes, um, the book discussion is on the twenty fifth. That's next Wednesday. And we will be discussing Catherine Ann Porter's Pale Horse, Pale Rider. It's a, it's just a short novel, um, and it's it's one of these books that actually talks about. It's it's written about her experience of the flu epidemic in 1918. Okay. Uh, it's it's considered one of the classic stories about the the flu epidemic. It's a really good book. And that is April 25th. April 25th. Yeah. Which is. Um, it's a Wednesday. Okay. And is that in the evening? No, it's um, 11 o'clock. It's, Wednesday, it's next time. Wednesday at 11 a.m. Yeah. And then um, we have um, actually uh, 
Monday, a week from this coming Monday, is Panic in the Streets? Yes, it's a uh, we we show we had two dates to show this film and and one of them got snowed out unfortunately. So we're we're re-showing it. Um Panic in the Streets is a is a great film. It's, it is. I've seen it. It's okay. Ilya Kazan. Yeah. It's, who did on the waterfront. Yeah, he did on the waterfront, which but this is this is before that and this is where he first learns that he likes to film on location. This is this is one of the very first times he films on location and he first learns that he likes to film specifically on the waterfront. A lot of this is filmed in New Orleans outdoors on the docks. Um it has Jack Palance um in his first film wow. role and man is he creepy. If you if he you're going to really creepy. It. Even as a young man, he was the perfect film He's a noir. Great villain. Uh protagonist antagonist. Yeah. So this is this is a great movie. The the plague comes to New Orleans, and they are trying to catch this criminal who doesn't know he has the plague. Oh. And it's this public health guy who doesn't exactly have any authority because he's a public health official, and he's working with a cop who doesn't really want to work with him to try to catch this guy before okay. it spreads, and they don't want the press to get wind of it. Um, so anyway, it's a great movie. We're showing it um, from 6 to 8 on Monday night. Monday night, April 30th, uh, 10 days from today. Yeah, it's... And I'm, it's at, at the... It's uh, at the house. At it's the at house. Hayes High House. Okay. And it, it's also great because a lot of stuff we're talking about, how much discretion does law enforcement have mm-hmm. to violate someone's civil rights and trying to attempt... Yep. Now, this exactly. is a criminal. This is a criminal, um... And by this time, in the um, 50s, they have less discretion than they did. In the, around the turn of the century, they would take as many as, you know, 100 cops and public health officials and bust into a tenement and force immunize um, all the people in the tenement. Uh, but they don't do that anymore. So <laughs> they have less discretion than they used to. It's really, um, it's just... It, it but just... it's a great film. And it does just speak to the the human, the, you know, uh, the next epidemics and the human experience. Mm-hmm. So the the last two things we have then are um, two um, faculty presentations. Um, we had faculty co curators for this exhibit. Uh, they helped us immensely in putting the exhibit together. Do you want to shout out to them? Yes, I okay. do. Okay. I I would Please like do. to. Um, Tamara Biegas, Madeline Danner, Deborah Izel, and Elizabeth Mosser helped us very, very much. And that, that covers, they helped us cover a much wider range of uh, fields than just the history that we normally hit. So thank you very much to them. And they're doing talks on um, May 1st and May 10th, um, one on psychology and one on public health. So... And again, you can find out more on the website, a little bit more detail about these. Harford.edu forward slash community and then on to Hayes House and the upcoming exhibit. Psychology of Sickness on May 1st and um, the faculty talk. Now, these four folks, uh, Tamara, Madeline, Deborah, and Elizabeth are co-curators and they're HCC faculty? Yes, they're all our faculty members. So... The chain of infection on on May tenth, um, and, and, and psychology of sickness. Psychology of sickness on May first. 
Now, another upcoming exhibit, uh, uh, can you touch on that for a second? Yeah, um, just, just briefly, in the fall, um, this fall will be the 100th anniversary of the end of World War One, And so we are going to spend the fall looking at um, how a lot of the sort of difficulties uh, or or some of the problems or things like that of the 20th century come out of World War One. So that's things like the Great Depression, obviously World War II, mm-hmm. um, the Cold War. There's, there's certain art and literature movements that people are not fans of, modernism and postmodernism, that can be said to come out of mm-hmm. what happened in World War I. Um, things like that, we're going to talk about that in the exhibit. And, um, the theater of the absurd. Exactly. These, these kinds of things can all be sort of tied back to what happens with World War I. And we're going to have some great events there, some sort of more active events. Okay. We want to try to do some debate nights where we hope Ooh. our guests will come and participate in the debates. Come on, Bob, sign um, up. We're going to try to rewrite the Treaty of Versailles so that it doesn't end up um, causing World War II. We'll see if we can do that. Wow. And That, uh, that should be interesting. That yeah, should be interesting. Sure. We're going to see if we can do that. Um, I'm not sure that's going to work, but we'll give it a go. Uh, and we're going to have... time and... Um, uh, would, would some... If, if you would go back in time and eliminate the existence of Adolf Hitler, what similar circumstances may still have arisen. Right. That like let's was, let's see if we can knock out some of those circumstances, right? If if there if there weren't reparations payments that Germany had to pay, if there weren't if we didn't take away their army and navy or or if they didn't have one thousand percent per week inflation rates. Right. If mm-hmm. if their inflation in the hadn't gone wild, if you know, if if some of these things were controlled for if, if, if. Now, we don't want the exhibit to be entirely alternate history here. <laughs> you know, there's an entire history. There's an entire world of, of fiction that people very much enjoy that's uh-huh. alternate history, uh-huh. and there's a place for that. But um, uh, we are going to see if we can craft some some treaties and see what people say in the debates. Should Should people, should countries that lose wars be punished? Or should they be rehabilitated? These are the kinds of things that the debates are going to look at. So we'll see. We'll see how people do. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot sure. of fun. Sure. Um, yeah, and uh, and uh, I've always been fascinated with the Marshall Plan and where people come out on that exactly. after, after World War II. It's right. really an investment in our economy by investing <laughs> in And Europe's. it seems like it worked, right? And and at the time, you know, Germany was getting better, Japan was getting better, Britain, who supposedly won the war, was still on rationing for years after the war, and and the people there were struggling, and they're like, well, didn't we win? <laughs> well, and the fact that they're, they, first of all, we basically forbade, forbade them to have a military-industrial complex, uh, and they really had to begin their industrial complex from almost ground zero. Yeah. So they didn't have – they weren't investing in their in their national defense. Mm-hmm. And they built their industry from ground zero. And in the 60s and 70s, they actually 
kicked our butts right. because of those two things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. Okay, Julie Mancini from uh, Hayes High House. Um, it almost sounds like a juke joint. Come out to the Hayes High House. Just some jazz, <laughs> some jazz there. Yeah. At hcchartford.edu uh, community. And uh, we're going to be at some of these things, some great things coming up um, from that. And why don't we just stay on? Okay. We have a lot of library stuff to talk about, and maybe we'll do four tweets. We do tweets. Oh, yeah. I think Julie's going to like these tweets. I think she will. And I'm in the mood for them, so I okay. hope they're awesome. What do we have coming up at the library? Oh, I'm my sure gosh. a billion things, as usual. Yes, yes, yes. We have a lot of great things. Um, the first thing I want to talk about and thank the community for their support is our Jeanette Walls author event. She is the author of Glass Castle, and she is coming to Harford County on Wednesday, April 25th. It's this next Wednesday. Um, we started in our Aberdeen library, but the need and the requests were so great. We expanded it, and now um, it's going to be at Water's Edge. It is sold out. Um, we have had a few people cancel yesterday, so keep checking back at the website um, and see if any spots open up. But we're sold out at capacity, and we are just so excited to have her come here. Um, the Ivy Bookshop in Baltimore is partnering with us on this. They're bringing books up, and books will be for sale that night. Um, are you coming? You can't. You have I can't an event. get in. Oh, and I, my I wanted to go, but I'm going to have to check back and see if yeah. there's slots open. Yeah, because I really wanted to go to that. HCCLonline.org is where yes. you can yeah. find out. Yes, yes. I was and really excited about it. We. I have had friends come out of the woodwork. Hey, how are you? <laughs> are there any tickets yeah. available? Yeah. Can I get in? <laughs> All of a sudden, um, they're your best friends. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So that's a wonderful thing, and we're super excited about yeah. that. And next Friday, I'll update you on how it went. Um, Saturday, April 21st, believe it or not, we have um, a Master Gardener class at our Bel Air Library. Hopefully, it will be warmer by then. It's called Good Bug, Bad Bug. And um, our Master Gardeners Club is going to be there talking about all of the different bugs that are in your ground, Um the ones you should get rid of, the ones that are good for the ground. It's a great way to start your planting season. Um, so be sure and stop by. It's at our Bel Air Library from 10, 15 a.m. till noon. And uh, be sure and go to hcplonline.org to register for that class. And then skip to some other fun things. Um, something that we do in a lot of our branches that I wanted to call out to is a teen time. This particular one is Tuesday, April 24th at our Aberdeen Library. We have a wonderful um, teen librarian there, Jake Hutton, who is just fabulous with all of his programming for that age group. Um, it's from 3 to 5 p.m., and it's just basically they hang out, they play video games, uh, board games, they snack. They bond. They have their own area that they come in, you know, that they take over and no one else comes in. And it's just a really good time for that age group. So try and come out to that if you can. Um, and then on Wednesday, April 25th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. is something that parents of seniors around the, the world groan about. It's navigating the financial aid process. So we're going to have someone there to... Um, talk with you about the free application for federal student aid um, and, and walk you through the process and really hold your hand with that if it's your first one. 
So um, that's from 6 to 7.30 p.m. at our Jarrettsville Library on Wednesday, April 25th. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about happens on Thursday, April 26th at our Edgewood Library, and that's from 6 to 7 p.m. And that's just a really, this is something I did when we were little, um, Gardens Under Glass, uh, mini garden worlds. Um, we're going to be building ter- terrariums and just talk about the plants and how they grow and how the watering system works. And that's a really fun, fun event. And that's open to the whole family. And that's supported by one of our greatest supporters, um, our friends group. And this one is Edgewood Friends of Hartford County Public Library. We couldn't do what we do without our friends groups. They're just instrumental in everything. So, Try and find something for your liking. If none of these appeal to you, we have a million other things, and that they're all at hcplonline.org. And we also have the beam. Is it the beam? Have you been there yet, Bob? No. Come no. on. That's at our, in our Bel Air Children's Area, and it's an interactive, wonderful, fun thing that is was made for Bob. Oh. And he just needs to get there I and keep, check it out. Well, I keep on trying to go in when there's a bunch of kids around. I know. So I think, it is tough. Hey, mister, get off our Little League field. Um, so uh, that's just fantastic stuff. And uh, on the financial aid thing, uh-huh. that is so valuable because oh, it yeah. can mean thousands to you. Uh, and part of that is j- just get to know who's ever managing the f- your file your or your son's or daughter's file, their financial file. Mm-hmm. Because there is often uh, uh, pools of assistance and funds mm-hmm. available depending on a lot of different circumstances mm-hmm. and you don't know if you just do it via email absolutely pick them and up and give them or pick the yep. phone up and give them a call yep and funds go unawarded every year and it's a shame yeah. when people are struggling to make ends meet and there's money out there so that's great advice bob okay we have another 30 seconds we're going to do four quick tweets we like the humor of everyday folks <laughs> Um, so there's a, so many good tweets out there. Me, honey, I'm back from the potato chip store. Wife, you mean the grocery store? Me, looks in bags. Uh, nope. <laughs> what a boom. Cashier, I hate being alone. Me, I know every morning is a new hell. Cashier, usually they schedule a second cashier. Me, yes, that is what I meant also. <laughs> um, third rule. If, a, if someone asks if they look fat, it's not enough to say no. You must also act very surprised by the question. Jump backwards if necessary. <laughs> That's great advice, too. And lastly, grandfather. Uh, I was an orphan at age six, lost two siblings by age ten. I fought in two wars, came home and raised five kids with your grandmother. Me. Sometimes I don't read my emails because I'm too tired. <laughs> I feel like that every day, like, yes, you don't do enough, you don't do enough. Well, guys, that is all the time we have today for the Hartford Edge. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Julie, for stopping by. Thank you so much for having me. And you are listening to 970 WAMD Aberdeen.